I'm Tracy Sable tonight on EWTN News Nightly. First he was ousted, now he's bowing out. Why former Speaker Kevin McCarthy is stepping down from Congress after 16 years on the Hill. We have a report and reaction. Smaller stage, bigger stakes. Four GOP presidential candidates go head-to-head -head tonight in Alabama. Who will come out on top? We have analysis. Targeting the faithful. Lawmakers question FBI investigations on a shocking threat. Traditional Catholics? We're on Capitol Hill. And the gift of perseverance. The story of a young boy going the distance to receive the sacrament of confirmation and catching the Pope's attention in the process. These stories add more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of St. Nicholas. We begin tonight with a developing story from Capitol Hill. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy will be leaving Congress by the end of the year. Let's get right to it with Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales, who has the latest. Eric, was this expected or was it a surprise? Good evening, Tracy. Yes, uh, there was definitely grumbling up here on Capitol Hill that former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy felt rejected by his own party and was planning to walk away from Congress. I think the surprise is that many didn't think that it would happen so soon at the end of this year, which is only a few weeks away, especially with Republicans having such a slim majority in the U.S. House, 220 Republicans versus 213 Democrats. You may recall that Kevin McCarthy was ousted from his speaker back in early October by Republican infighting over spending cuts, border security, and providing aid to Ukraine, issues that are still unresolved today. The California Republican has been in office for 16 years, representing Bakersfield, California. I found out that Kevin McCarthy is in New York today. However, he did post a video about leaving on the social media platform X. We did our part. And when the stakes were the highest, we rose to the challenge. We were willing to risk it all, no matter the odds, no matter the personal cost. Simply put, we did the right thing. I did reach out to a number of House Republicans, and most would rather focus on the future of the GOP. Many told me that Kevin McCarthy is still a very influential person within the GOP, and he has a very large war chest to prove it. I did speak with Freedom Caucus member Congressman Bob Good from Virginia, who supported the removal of Kevin McCarthy as Speaker. He says that House GOP members are united behind Speaker Mike Johnson. He's a true conservative. He wants to pursue the Republican agenda that we ran on a year ago. I think he understands the key to keeping and maintaining or expanding our majority next year is to deliver for the American people on things that we ran on, cutting our spending, bringing some fiscal stability finally to Congress, getting our spending bills passed, securing our border. Kevin McCarthy's decision comes in the wake of an announcement earlier in the week by one of his closest allies. That's Congressman Patrick McHenry of North Carolina. McHenry is retiring at the end of his term. And Tracy, more than three dozen House members have announced that they will not seek re-election in 2024. Eric, stand by for just a moment here. I want to bring in uh, Mene Ukabarua with the Wall Street Journal editorial board. Mene, great to be with you today. Uh, in addition to posting on X, Kevin McCarthy also wrote an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal today announcing that he was, quote, leaving the House but not the fight. Let's talk more about that. And did anything in that op-ed surprise you? Well, I don't think that his resignation or his decision uh, to 
enter private service was surprising at all, nor was the message that he attached to it. I think that uh, we've covered already some of the reasons why Kevin McCarthy probably felt that his time had come. First and foremost, uh, it really stings to be deposed by your own party. Uh, he probably thought when he accepted the speakership after several rounds of voting that he was just dealing with some members who wanted to make a show for their voters, but that he'd be able to govern once he was able to secure the speakership. But we saw that that wasn't the case. Uh, Congressman Matt Gates from Florida deposed him, and McCarthy, having served as long as he has in Washington, probably felt that it didn't make sense for him to continue in the prime of his career as a backbencher in the House. And so it makes perfect sense that he's decided he wants to still play some role in politics, but outside of the House of Representatives. Eric, I believe you have a question for Manet. Yes, I just wanted to find out a little bit. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the influence that he has in this party. I mean, he still has a very large war chest, does he not? Absolutely. It's interesting because on the one hand, Kevin McCarthy is not known uh, as one of the Freedom Caucus members who you spoke to mentioned as a policy-focused politician. He's not someone who came into the speakership looking to drive a specific conservative agenda. Where he does excel is in fundraising and organization. Uh, he is a master fundraiser. He's someone who's able to sit down with folks and get big donations that they can use on races. And he's good at recruiting candidates, uh, finding new people who will be able to run in competitive seats and win them for the GOP. And so my sense and what he implied in the op-ed that he ran with us is that he's going to continue focusing on doing those things, probably with an independent consulting group, uh, and will still hold quite a lot of influence in the party through that way. And I also want to ask you this, Mene, what do you think were some of the biggest uh, successes of McCarthy as Speaker? I think the biggest success that you could point to during his speakership was the debt ceiling battle with President Biden. Of course, in a divided Congress like we have with Democrats controlling the Senate and Republicans controlling the House, it's very unlikely that you're going to get major policies passed into law by Congress, but they do have to fund the government and they do have to continue to finance U.S. debt. And so that was a big battle that was going to test the resolve of the Republicans. And McCarthy did manage to get limits on future spending growth, as well as work requirements attached to a lot of welfare spending, both of which are big Republican Party priorities. So I think that if you wanted to credit him with one thing, being able to get results and get that passed by that House Republicans was his biggest accomplishment. All right, Manny, thank you so much for weighing in. We always appreciate it. All right, Eric, I want to go back to you now. Uh, another really important story that you have been covering, I know, is the FBI's targeting of traditional Catholics as possible domestic terrorists. Tell us more about this. Yeah, Tracy, uh, this is really disturbing. It was just days ago that a House Weaponization Committee revealed in a new report that the FBI interviewed a Catholic priest and a Catholic church choir director as part of its investigation into traditional Catholics possibly being domestic terrorists. That raised the anger of several Republican lawmakers who accused the FBI of overstepping their bounds and even lying to Congress. FBI Director Christopher Wray defended his agency. He told lawmakers the Catholic priest and choir director were questioned for an investigation of an individual threatening violence who has since been arrested and not for a broader probe into Catholics. But Republican Senator Josh Hawley isn't buying it. You said we do not, we do not go to priests 
and ask them about their parishioners. You said we do not. You didn't say we haven't. You didn't say we won't. You said we don't. As it turns out, you do. And you kept it from the public. You deliberately misled Congress about it. And the only reason we know about it is because a whistleblower came forward. I just That's fundamentally disagree with your characterization. Well, there's no characterization. The facts are the facts. And I fundamentally resent the fact that you have violated, if not the spirit, if not the letter, certainly the spirit of the First Amendment. And use your law enforcement agency against Catholics in this nation. Could it happen again? Senator Hawley tells me yes. We now know that the FBI agents, they wanted to turn this internal memo. They wanted to take it nationwide. They wanted to recommend that all the field offices go start talking to Catholic churches. And listen, the, the head of the field office that did this, he expresses no remorse. He's still in his position. Ray hasn't removed anybody. Senate Judiciary Committee Chair Dick Durbin believes the issue was settled when I asked him about the FBI's targeting of Catholics. It is uh, reprehensible and was condemned by this director of the FBI as it should have been. Congressman Jim Jordan, the chair of the House Judiciary Committee, tells me the FBI's actions show a pattern. This is the same FBI that, um, you know, censored Americans. This is the same FBI that spied on a presidential campaign. Um, this is the same Justice Department that said parents showing up at school board meetings were, were, were terrorists. He and others say Congress should cut funding to the Justice Department and more. Then we should look at remedies. If you're engaged in this kind of direct attack on Americans' First Amendment liberties, there should be consequences for the government official who's involved in that. Lawmakers also tell me that they're working on legislative ways to protect America's First Amendment rights. Congressman Jordan says that he's even attracted some Democrat support. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Okay, thank you, Eric. Well, President Joe Biden urges Congress to quickly pass legislation that would provide new funding for Ukraine, as well as money for Israel's war with Hamas. Biden warned if Vladimir Putin takes Ukraine... He won't stop there, adding Putin could later attack a NATO ally, drawing U.S. troops into war. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Tracy, President Joe Biden is seeking nearly $106 billion, but the bill on Capitol Hill has gotten bogged down in negotiations over U.S. southern border security. Today in a speech, President Biden said this cannot wait. Good afternoon, everyone. In a speech from the Roosevelt Room that was just added to his schedule today, President Joe Biden presses lawmakers to keep funding flowing. Congress needs to pass supplemental funding for Ukraine before they break for the holiday resources. Simple as that. Frankly, I think it's stunning that we've gotten to this point in the first place. As Ukraine battles to push back Russian forces, the president warned Vladimir Putin could not be allowed to win. We've all seen the brutality that Putin has inflicted on Ukraine, invading another country, trying to subjugate his neighbors to his iron rule, committing atrocities, atrocities against Ukrainian civilians. Attorney General Merrick Garland just announced the Justice Department filed charges against four Russian troops for war crimes against an American. They are also an important step toward accountability for the Russian regime's illegal war in Ukraine. President Biden also held a virtual meeting, G7 leaders in attendance, including President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine. This is critical. Petty, partisan, angry politics can't get in the way of our responsibility as a leading nation in the world. And literally, the entire world is watching. The entire world is watching. What will the United States do? While the president was making his plea to Congress, the U.S. also announcing a $175 million package of military aid to Ukraine, including guided missiles. 
President Biden also blamed Republicans for holding up Ukraine aid over what he called their extreme partisan border policies, adding he supports real solutions at the U.S. southern border, calling it a broken immigration system. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly. Well, Senate Republicans blocked a Democrat-backed aid package for Ukraine and Israel. They insist that any foreign aid bill must include major border security policy changes, a critical sticking point that threatens to derail passage of the aid package. And while there have been bipartisan talks to try to find a consensus, the two sides remain far apart. Turning now to the war in the Middle East, where the IDF releases video saying the military has breached Hamas defense lines in Khan Yunus, adding that troops raided a Hamas battalion outpost and began targeting raids in the heart of the city. Israel's Air Force also said that it struck about 250 Hamas targets in Gaza over the last 24 hours. Those airstrikes injured dozens of Palestinians, including young children. The intense fighting has blocked relief workers from distributing food, water and medicine across the Gaza Strip. We have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including race for the White House. President Joe Biden weighs in on his 2024 campaign. Meanwhile, analysis on tonight's fourth GOP debate with Real Clear Politics, Susan Crabtree, and why this German bishop is speaking out against the synodal way. made headlines last night when he told Democratic supporters if Trump wasn't running, I'm not sure I'd be running, but we cannot let him win for the sake of the country. President Biden was later asked about his comments. Would you be running for president if Trump wasn't running? I, I expect so, but look, he, he is running and I just, I have to run. Would you drop out of Trump right now? No, not now. President Biden also believes former President Trump would act like a dictator if he returns to the Oval Office. But Trump told Fox News he would only be a dictator on day one so he could close the southern border and resume oil drilling. Trump is skipping tonight's fourth Republican debate in Alabama. It will feature Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek Ramaswamy and Chris Christie. And for more analysis on tonight's Iowa Republican debate, we bring in Susan Crabtree, White House and national political correspondent at Real Clear Politics. Susan, always great to have you on. Uh, so we have seen Presidents Biden and Trump uh, in a verbal sparring match over the past couple of days. I want to get your take on that, all this rhetoric. And how do you think that's playing out with voters? I think it's sort of a sad state of affairs when you have a the, sort of this gutter politics that's been going on uh, in the in the town hall last night with Sean Hannity. Uh, President Trump had a stage, which I'm not even sure is appropriate, when he was not going to um, participate in tonight's debate. He is shunning those because he's so far ahead in the polls. But he gets his own forum to just take jab after jab at the president, sitting president. Now, the issues that he brought up are real issues uh, in terms of Biden's cognitive decline. Uh, that's something that voters, that polls have showed that voters are deeply concerned about. But the way that he even said it's not appropriate to be making fun of it, but then he proceeded to make fun of it. I'm not sure how that we will see in the polls, how that's playing out. I mean, Trump is way ahead on the Republican side. This, um, his, you know, entertainment slash political shtick 
uh, and, and a lot of jabs, with a lot of jabs, seems to be working for him, at least for the time being. Uh, but tonight we're going to see on the stage uh, the other alternatives have a chance to have their own forum. Biden, uh, meanwhile, even before Thanksgiving, was trying to turn up the pressure on Trump as well with his own uh, sort of rhetoric, not as nasty, but still um, very sharp against Trump, saying that he has been a winner ever since he stepped into the stage against Trump, and Trump has been has on a losing streak. So, yeah, I mean, it's been entertaining, but I'm not sure it's great for the political process. Yeah, and so moving forward, let's talk about tonight, uh, the debates tonight. Um, what are you anticipating and looking forward to specifically? I'm looking forward to the smaller stage, the four candidates that we have remaining. Uh, they're going to have a time to really get into it more deeply. Uh, certainly, you have Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, and Chris Christie still in there jabbing away. Um, the anti-Trump candidate is still maintaining um, a, a place on the stage. But what I really think is the dynamic is this DeSantis uh, Nikki Haley, whether DeSantis can really break out. Uh, he had a chance last week, we saw against Governor Newsom, to contrast sharply. Uh, I can't see, I can't really think of any two more diametrically opposed uh, governors uh, sharing their philosophy, different philosophies for running their states. But now we have Nikki Haley, who has really shown some momentum. Uh, she is. Uh, ahead of DeSantis in New Hampshire and has been for several weeks. And in Iowa, she is moving forward, too. Uh, just a three-point difference between Haley and DeSantis. Uh, people think, seem to think that she is sort of the adult in the room. She's managed to knock down Vivek Ramaswamy um, and have a sparring match with him, really hold her own, show that she has sort of the foreign policy chops, even though a lot of the Republican Party does not agree with some of her more interventionist policies. Um, they like Trump's more protectionist uh, solutions. But, you know, it's really hurt. It's really the, de the debate is going to be between DeSantis and Nikki Haley and to see if, if Haley can maintain this momentum and if DeSantis can really learn to shine. Yeah, we will see how it all shakes out. We'll be watching. Thank you so much, Susan, for coming on, for all your insights. Always appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, there are reports of several victims being taken to the hospital following a shooting on the campus of the University of Nevada, Las Vegas today. Police say a suspect has been found dead as officers responded to a school building. UNLV officials say the shooting took place at its business school. There are also reports of shots being fired at a nearby student union. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, divine inspiration. Pope Francis explains how the Holy Spirit is our best companion when spreading the gospel. Plus, what this young boy went through to receive the sacrament of confirmation and why the trial was well worth it. Bishop Stevan Oster has once again distanced himself from the Synodal Way. The Bishop of Passau joined Cardinal Rainier Wolke in criticism of the German Synodal Council. This comes after the Holy Father also criticized the process back in November. Jonathan Liedel, senior editor at the National Catholic Register, has more. A prominent German prelate has declared that the church in his country is, quote, more polarized than ever before. 
And according to Cardinal Rainer Velke of Cologne, it's the controversial German Synodal Way that is to blame for the division. The Synodal Way has pushed for deviations from church teaching on issues like sexuality, ordination, and church governance in recent years. And in a speech made public yesterday, Cardinal Velke said that the controversial initiative has created a polarized climate by stifling real dialogue and stamping out respectful opposition. Cardinal Velke also spoke about why he is not participating in the next phase of the Synodal Way, a committee to establish a permanent council of bishops and laity to govern the church in Germany, something the Vatican has explicitly forbidden. Three other German bishops, including Bishop Oster, also boycotted the committee's November 10th to 11th meeting. Regarding his decision, Cardinal Velke said, I cannot go against the Pope's instructions or those of his closest collaborators. For me, such a path leads to a dead end. Velke's comments are the latest in a slew of high-profile criticism of the Synodal Way. Criticism has come from the president of the Bishops' Conference in neighboring Poland, from the Vatican's Secretary of State, Pietro Perlin, and even Pope Francis himself. On November 10th, the Pope wrote to four German laywomen, saying, Germany's unity with the universal church was being threatened by concrete steps in the local church, including the ongoing work of the Synodal Ways Committee. However, despite the barrage of criticism, Synodal Way leaders have shown no signs of stopping their controversial agenda. In fact, they've doubled down on plans to influence the worldwide church via the Vatican's Synod on Synodality, which meets for its final assembly in October 2024. And though the rhetoric from the Vatican and others has ratcheted up in recent weeks, the Pope has not taken any disciplinary measures on the situation in Germany. Therefore, while the war of words between church leaders in Germany and the universal church has intensified, most church watchers are wondering what action, if any, the Pope will take. From Rome for EWTN News, I'm Jonathan Liedel. Pope Francis reminds the faithful that spreading the gospel in our lives is best done with help from the Holy Spirit. In his weekly address to pilgrims at the Vatican, the Holy Father invited the faithful to allow the Holy Spirit to inspire our work. Pope Francis also weighed in on his health. He says that he is feeling better, but once again asks that a lot of his message be delivered by an aide. Well, finally tonight, a young boy in Argentina would not let anything get in the way of his receiving confirmation. 11-year-old Maximiliano was due to be confirmed in early November, but when nonstop rain and muddied roads made traveling by car difficult, the boy decided to walk seven miles to get to church. The story captivated the locals and even caught the attention of Pope Francis, who sent Maximiliano a blessing and a gift from Rome. Well, we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.